The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen I have a case for it being not necessarily the best one, but like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it kind of defines what this album or at least its meaning on fans is. For Lost Dogs? Yeah. People think that it's got a overarching sort of... No, not not like lyrically, just like as far as what this song kind of is for fans. Oh, okay. I'm going to say, it's like, I, I don't think that <laughs> a, a, a collection of unconnected B-sides really uh, has a story to tell. That would be incredible. Unless it's some that, weird sort of uh, cut and paste. That, oh, that. What the hell is that called? With cut and paste poetry sort of thing. I think William Burroughs did it. I wouldn't put it past them, honestly. If there was some type of meeting where we could connect all these songs together. No, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Not even going to try. You know, there's like covers and stuff on there, too. So, right. I mean, like that wouldn't. I mean, Sweet Lou just throws the whole thing out. I think I shit on Sweet Lou more than like any Pearl Jam song because I think like most Pearl Jam fans can agree is kind of like okay that's just silly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a it's a safe it's a safe song to punch down on. Welcome to season eight, episode ten of the Better Band Podcast, an all encompassing trip through every song in the Pearl Jam catalog. I'm your host, Brandon Paloma. Each episode, I go track by track with a guest through every album, soundtrack, single, and B-side to discover why you simply can't find a better band. Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. This is Brandon today talking with guest Joey Goodsir. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. And today we are covering... This uh, track on Lost Dogs that was originally released on the 1999 fan club single Strangest Tribe, written by Stone Gossard. Definitely definitive of who Stone is, too, as far as a songwriter, that's for sure. Tapping into all of his glorious weirdness. Yes, and if you're looking through your singles trying to figure out which one it is, it's the uh, the kind of brown one with the the dope-smoking Santa (laughs) on the cover. Is, is what it looks like to me. There you go. Yep, and uh, like you said, in the album notes for Lost Dogs, it's got Stone. He wrote a little bit about it. He says, uh, I think this sounds so much better not on a 45. I love this little song of mine. The Christmas spirit really w- took hold of me one November night. What, oh, a few years back? I went into Litho and laid down the basics and asked Ed to come in and help. He sang it and recorded Drifting on the same day. I think the keys on Strangest is Ed, too. I always thought there could be some harpsichord. Interesting. That would be, wow. I would like to hear that as an alternative version if they put harpsichord on it. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's people out there on YouTube who've, uh, who've uh, put harpsichord on it. Or something. <laughs> Boom could break out a harpsichord live the next time they, they randomly pull this out of the deepest back <laughs> of their pocket. I don't know, on tour they, they should have like a, a, a synthesizer or something out there with them to do some of the new songs, so maybe they'll have like a, a harpsichord setting on it or that something is, like that. That is very true. Uh, speak, speaking of live uh, performances, they've only done this song twice. Yes. Uh, once in 2014, once in 2016. That, of course, is as of this recording, which, uh, yeah, I don't think between now and when you hear this episode, they're going to play it. I'm going to say anymore. <laughs> Ooh. Maybe, maybe once more. 
depending on if you listen to this like five years down the road or so yeah it depends i mean first for for some songs i can definitely you know agree that we've we've seen all of it for this one i don't know because i mean there's the there's the post-pandemic reward factor which i think is going to be a big deal we're going to see some interesting set lists Mm -hmm. i mean it's 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 going to go that direction or the other direction it depends i think that they're that they're definitely gonna be super willing to to dig deep you know for everybody who's been waiting for so long you know there's also the the vocal aspect of it range wise it's one of the easier things for ed to sing especially at this point so i don't know i feel like i feel like it could it could you know we could get a couple more out of it yeah it could yeah it could i I think people have kind of um tried to refer to pearl jam fans as the strangest tribe i think to to try to steer away from the jamily term <laughs> i i think i i definitely would be a supporter of an alternative name the strangest tribe being one of them because i think the strangest tribe is actually a cool name because it um i don't know in, in general it's a cool name but then also i think that the idea that you have to know this song in order to understand the name i think that that's a good kind of barrier of entry i like that it definitely describes the the appeal of of being a Pearl Jam fan. I feel like yeah, it does it does evoke the um, the um... definitely evokes like the traveling aspect. Obviously, yes, and I think we'll get into that lyrically aspect. <laughs> <laughs> that's the word. There you go. Yeah, of, of people following them around and everything like that. And I think that's right. probably partly why uh, originally the uh, the podcast touring fan yes. hosted by Anthony Chriswicks. You got it. Chriswicks? Yes. His, uh, his podcast was called Strangest Tribe. Yeah, I didn't think to reference Anthony's pod, but yeah. I remember that back in the day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of 2017. Um, yeah, I, I remember when Anthony started. I remember... I remember listening to the Chris Cornell live stream when that happened. And yeah, it's really, really awesome to see what his show has evolved into. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize we'd segue ourselves into a touring fan plug. But <laughs> go listen to that if you if you haven't. Um, All about making good, the connections here. Right. It's, it's a good way. It's a good way to, to, to take a break from the Pearl Jam aspect of the Pearl Jam podcast community without leaving it. So, you know, staying staying within arm's grasp of all these guys. <laughs> To me, I guess we can get into the uh, the lyrics a little bit, because why not? This is uh, that's kind of what this uh, podcast is about. Yeah, but um, I I don't know. At least the term tribe always evokes Judaism in my mind, just because it's colloquially the tribe. You know, uh, saying to people, "Oh, are you a member of the tribe?" Mm-hmm. You know, and and wandering and the desert and all that sort of stuff and i don't know it's definitely one of the you know it definitely puts it's one of the songs that they've released as part of the you know holiday singles that puts the the christmas and christmas single that's for sure yeah yeah also yeah like the holidays too so you know thinking oh you know hanukkah and you know that sort of stuff but you know it's i don't know i I think the um i don't know damn it It does. It does have a very wintry feeling to it, which, right. you know, at least in the northern hemisphere, it's uh, you know winter and Christmas, where you know Australians are like, "What the hell?" You have Santa surfing down here, so 
<laughs> you know, I, I've always enjoyed that. There's obviously the use of sleigh bells on this song on the studio cut. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they haven't done that live. Be interesting if they did. There's the whole aspect of there's the songs that they've released on holiday singles and there's the Christmas songs that they put on holiday singles. And it's this aspect of, you know, there's certain limitations to their live calendar. And so you don't get when it comes to, you know, anniversaries of shows and when shows are happening, you don't get Ed's birthday Mm -hmm. being the 23rd of December. You don't get the holiday season because you're usually out before Thanksgiving so that you're not even you know, you don't get that chunk of time. So it's interesting to see how they've, you know, dabbled with all that stuff. And I'm sure you'll get into that to a far greater extent um, with their their live usage of songs like Let Me Sleep. But this song definitely, definitely applies to that list when, when we start to dig into the lyrical content of it, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I think um, people connect this song with following Pearl Jam and stuff like that because of the lyrics of, you know, follow the strangest tribe kind of you know follow the wayward mile you know just kind of like traveling and stuff like that and and kind of following the band i think also around the holidays too you know if you have your own life you're going back to your parents house you know you're traveling to to back to your your own home you know possibly where you grew up and stuff like that and so like everybody's family is is sort of a, a strange tribe as well as you grow and kind of look back at your life and kind of like oh man we did some you know everybody's family did some weird things it's like oh man we did some weird ass things when (laughs) i was growing up and you share with people and some people will be like oh yeah we did that too oh yeah we did that too or people be like oh man you guys are weird (laughs) and everybody has their own things and everybody sort of if you as you grow up and move away and kind of the generations progress you know come up with your own your own ways of doing things your own um Damn it, what's the word? <laughs> Follow the ageless tide. Follow the angle line. Follow the strangest tribe. It's an interesting it's an interesting angle to think of the holidays in because you know I, I I'd say it's definitely more entrenched in symbolism for um, other people than than me as you know I am I am a Christian but I definitely associate Easter far more deeply with my religious beliefs even though mm-hmm. obviously Christmas is a Christian holiday and there is that aspect of it I I guess traditionally with the way my family celebrates it or whatever it's it's definitely more more of a secular take but you know there's there's kind of the the perspective on this song that it's it's kind of taking that three wise men perspective Mm -hmm. but it's interesting because of how that kind of connects to the the, just the nature of celebrating christmas and celebrating the holidays themselves where it is that kind of people coming from a long distance to have a moment with other people in this one place yeah christmas is the fun one christmas is the one that everybody knows (laughs) it's the uh you know it's the 10 it's the verses and uh it's the 10. And then Easter is the uh, is the binaural B-sides. 
I wouldn't say B-side. I feel like that's a little bit understating it, but <laughs> it's it's not like certain feast days or something like that. Let's say uh, <laughs> no. It's 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 binaural. It's binaural. The the album. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's a yeah. Let's see. Is there anything else really about this song? That's I mean, it it is it is very it is a vibe. Strangest tribe is a vibe. It is a very big vibe. I, I, you know, I'm glad you said vibe because that that would be the that would have been the next thing I'd talk about is that if you want to listen to Pearl Jam with headphones on, this is a top song on the list without a doubt. You get the two guitars on extreme both sides of you. As a Pearl Jam fan, you kind of internalize the whole mic on your left, stone on your right kind of thinking, but you get that to such an awesome extent with two with two acoustics on this, and you get. Ed's voice whispering in your ear kind of from behind you. It's this really, really cool effect. Almost almost sounds like he's singing from inside your head. Like it's mm-hmm. a really, really cool audio experience. So yeah, highly recommend listening to this with with the headphones on. He doubles those harmonies too, which are really, really cool. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely an audiophile's delight of a song, that's for sure. I do like the um the Ed parts too at the uh as you get towards the end and he's Yes. Kind of going off on the uh, on the end there, doing little runs. Yeah. Follow the strangers Yeah, so I guess uh, that's that's it for this song then. It's it is just you know, kind of a fan club single kind of thrown out there. Right. I mean, the one thing that I could say, especially getting into the live versions, yet another song I'm covering where it's like, oh, I could I could listen to every version. So let's do it. <laughs> and did that. And my favorite thing about both versions and probably my ultimate thing about this song is I love the crowd reactions for this. Mm-hmm. The crowd reactions for this are so cool because it's obviously one of the quietest songs they've written. And, you know, it's not it's not Pearl Jam at their most quintessential in terms of sound. But what happens is you get, they start playing it and it's it's really, really quiet and you'll get little spots of people who freak out <laughs> and it's really really cool there's there's these there's these people who kind of just have there's a few people you know kind of spread all over the place in both you know both in oslo and at fenway when they played it the two times who are like oh holy shit It's five below in Yeah, to show 
everybody else kind of doesn't really appreciate it. In in Oslo, there's this there's the the main the main video that you can find on YouTube, at least the one that I've I've seen and um, that has been mashed up with the with the boot sound and that kind of thing. There's this there's this pretty tall guy like right in the front of the right in front of GA, and he like throws up both of his arms like dramatically, like mm-hmm. he's like super excited to hear this song, and he's like. I swear he's like fist pumping through the first verse, which is hilarious because, you know, knowing how the first verse sounds, it's not necessarily the first Pearl Jam song you'd associate with fist pumping when, you know, like a live exists. <laughs> but it, it's just kind of cool how at the beginning there are these there there are certain, you know, bigger fans within the group who kind of had their have their moments. But what I also noticed, though, is at the end of each of the performances, the crowd loses it like they get huge huge ovations for this Mm -hmm. and clearly it's one of those things where it's like if you know it it's cool but if you don't know it it really opens a door towards um these these lost dogs and these rare songs in general like kind of these these little things that you could be missing out on if you aren't paying closer attention in these kind of more exotic aspects of who they of who this band is you know when it comes to their musicianship so that was really kind of the highlight for me was kind of seeing the way that the crowd processed it, especially because, you know, they, they, they made interesting choices on when to break this out. They didn't play it ever in 2000 right after the single is out. They didn't play it, you know, immediately after Lost Dogs. You'd figure they'd get to it eventually because they have this thing that, that, that comes out. And, you know, they definitely worked Lost Dogs more into their into their sets in 2003 and a little bit after. Mm-hmm. So it would have made sense for them to do it once or twice around that time, but they don't until they get to Oslo, Norway of all places in 2014. And this is this was definitely a this song is definitely a mark of the era that they that they reached, I think especially in 2014 because the 2014 tour obviously is known most for um, the album shows that they started, but you know they 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 kind of reached the stage where they truly could play at anything, and this was kind of a a symbol for that. Uh, so let's wrap up then, Joey. We 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 know how you got into Pearl Jam. We know what it means to you and everything. But uh, I, one one thing I don't think people know, and and I know I don't know. Uh, how, what are your Pearl Jam album rankings? What is what is your least favorite to your most favorite? We got to start at the bottom and then build up. Yeah. So I, I I said this earlier, but I was planning I was planning for this episode, and it's interesting how last the last few episodes I've done we we covered a song that doesn't have a title in it, we <laughs> covered a song that doesn't have words in it, and now we're covering um one of the one of the rarest songs that they've that they've ever recorded and is in my opinion you know really symbolizes what Lost Dogs is to the fans in its finest way, and really the simple questions like. What, what, what are your favorite albums? Really are the ones that strike me as the most challenging and hardest. And I noticed you, you asked me that relatively late when I was planning this and <laughs> had to throw this together. Kind of stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but anyway, it, it, it kind of came easy to me. And um, along the way, I did, found, I did find kind of an early Pearl Jam album ranking that I did relatively early on when I was a pretty new fan of the band so uh we'll kind of compare and contrast that a little bit too um as a bonus but here are my album rankings okay number 11 is uh lightning bolt we'll we'll talk about this when we when i look at when i look at my older rankings but uh gigaton wasn't nice to lightning bolt in my opinion 
it really wasn't. It really was kind of me and the lightning bolt because there's always a there's always a whoa shiny new thing syndrome that happens between all Pearl Jam fans when a new album comes out. I, mm-hmm. I, you know that happens to all fans when new music comes out, and you know that happened to every album for in a sense, and Gigaton's one of them. But for Lightning Bolt, I definitely think, especially considering how long they toured on it, it was a little. Um, it was a little bit heavier than it was for most albums. And so since now it's not the most recent album, it really took a hit for me because of that. Not that it's a bad album at all. I think this is probably cliche at this point among the people you've asked this question for, but it's just it's just simply my least favorite. Least favorite's actually probably not the worst place to be on my list because that means that I can go back to it and most easily enjoy it because I can discover things that I didn't previously appreciate and appreciate a little bit more. Um, number 10 is Backspacer. I used to love Backspacer. I still love Backspacer, especially some of the songs that aren't played live nearly as much. Obviously, it's got its songs that it's stuck onto. Unthought Known is an ult- is an ultimate live song, and I think that that was the that was the correct musical decision that the band made, and that being the song that they always go back to from that album. But there's some other deeper cuts on that album that I forget are just so much fun and um, so nice and tight. And it was great for me as an early Pearl Jam fan to appreciate. And that'll definitely be reflected in my other list. But uh, number nine is Pearl Jam, aka Avocado. Love a lot of songs on this album. Inside Job is probably one of my, one of their greatest songwriting achievements. And to think it comes from Mike is really, really cool. It as an album is kind of where it falters down the list for me. Um, I think it has, uh, especially with with a song like that, it has some of the juice to go way higher on my list. But the only reason why it's not is because I feel like people have talked about song ordering and mm-hmm. kind of those decisions with both Avocado and Binormal. And Avocado really takes a hit on that for me. I feel like if I really sat down with it for a while, I could come up with a with a better way to present it in terms of song order and that kind of thing. But yeah, Avocado number nine. Uh, Binaural's at number eight, which is a substantial, substantially well aged for me. Um, it's it's really really gone up the list. Just I've just grown to love it. Some of the harder, faster songs I, I've grown to enjoy more and more and more. Um, because I've increasingly gained nostalgia for those uh, 2000 and 2003 boots, because that was a lot of the way my Pearl Jam fandom formed. Um, well, in an album context, I was kind of chronological. I got a lot more early exposure to Riot Act and Binaural, so I kind of gained appreciation for those two in that way. Ten comes in at number seven. Um, I feel like this is an increasingly common thing among people. There are certain ten songs that are my favorite songs of all time. Release is my favorite song of all time. I, I don't know. It's just as an album... I feel like you grow past it in a similar way the band does. I'm not one for favoring the Redux as much as some other people do. I do kind of like it in its initial form. And I mean, nothing bad against Brendan O'Brien because I appreciate all that Brendan O'Brien has brought us. And, you know, I understand the appeal of it for sure. But hearing it in its original context for me, it's it's a it's a great time capsule to to delve into every once in a while. Uh Number six being Riot Act. Like I said, um, the 2003 boots are really, really important to me. So naturally, Riot Act is going to be lifted up the list. I'm also a Chicago kid, so you know which direction my my band member biases go. So Riot Act will naturally go up the list with Ed's prominent presence on it, um, songwriting-wise. And yeah, that's that's definitely been a favorite of mine. Gigaton is number five. And, you know, I was wondering if it would have the same 
ooh, shiny new thing effect that, um, you know, new albums do as, as I talked about with lightning bolt mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it definitely did in regards to, I can't tell you how many times I, I, I definitely wore the album out as I think a lot of us did right when it came out during pandemic time, when we had the time to really do it. I remember, I, I'm pretty sure I listened to it. It was definitely like four or five times within the first 24 hours. Like it was crazy and I loved it. And it was by that like third or fourth time where I had this realization of like, oh, holy shit, this is this is good. Like this is really good. It's not just, you know, I'm I'm excited because this band that I've fallen in love with finally, I'm finally, you know, being exposed to them making a new album. It was truly a good album. It's faded in that sense. Obviously, I, I'm not listening to it nearly as much, and I'm not as inclined to listen to it as much. And I think that had an effect with a lot of people. It was interesting um, hearing Stone on the Dean Del Rey podcast talk about it in a context of like, yeah, it just kind of fell off. Like it, for for them, from a commercial perspective, it probably was a little bit underwhelming. Number four is Versus. Uh, Versus has actually gone up significantly on my list, not because I didn't like Versus previously, but just because all of the kind of like 10, but in a different way, all of the individual songs on Versus have gone on to be a significant story and a significant piece of my fandom for the band. And it just kind of a realization over the years playing uh, full studio albums every once in a while realizing oh like this is such a monster of an album um way more than i initially appreciated so it's gotten to bump up the list for that reason probably the biggest thing about this list is that my number three is no code these days when no code used to be one of my least favorite albums and i think this is true for pretty much everyone unless your name is john farrar (laughs) um that album has aged tremendously for me and it used to be very very low on the list and it is quickly made its way all the way to the top behind the two albums, which I don't know. I think at this point, these top two will probably never change. But anyway, uh, number two is Yield. There's definitely a, a strong uh, segment or tribe of Pearl Jam fans who gather around Yield as their holy grail of Pearl Jam studio albums. I sympathize with a lot of that. I think that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's the peak of a lot of things for them. And it should be appreciated in many ways for that reason. And then number one for me in all of its gloriousness and all of its weirdness and in just absolutely everything is Vitology. I love Vitology from the moment I heard it. The interesting thing about Vitology is that I was exposed to Pearl Jam's albums chronologically, but I initially mixed up the order and I think I started digging into Vitology before I realized Versus existed. And I don't know if that has an impact on it because there's something so incredible about Versus as a second album and as a, you know, you thought that that was good. Like you have no idea what's coming. Um, (laughs) And that's, you know, what I love so much about Versus and Go as its opening track and all that stuff. But for me, to degree, it was Vitology. I just love the power of the, the, the kind of primal, but, you know, weird songwriting where they, you know, they really made some awesome music for the time period but you know really tested their fan base as much as possible i've always had a fondness for all the weirdness on that album you know i i understand to a degree when people dismiss songs like bugs and stupid mop and all that stuff but for me i just i just absolutely love it thanks for coming on joey and uh talking about pearl jam and other sundries always 
thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Um, and appreciate all that you guys do, especially as you continue on this journey into the Lost Dogs now. Yeah, so we're it's it's the it's the end of an era with this season. Yeah, we're done. We're done with the uh, the contractual Sony releases. So wow. it's, it's it's all semi independent from here on out. Yeah, not not to get not to get super meta, but what is it what what is it like thinking about you know making your way all this time through the through the discography chronologically and the prospect of really starting to get down to the end here. Uh, some part of me, uh, it, it doesn't believe it. It's like, oh my God, this is never going to end. And the other part <laughs> is like, oh, come on. I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, as I, as I get further on, it seems like it's, it's more of a burden than it would seem at the, uh, at the onset. Right. <laughs> but I think that's all of life. <laughs> that That is a hundred percent all of life. You, you, you make mistakes in your youth and you're like, ah, Eh, this is just a you know sprained ankle or something like that from doing something and then you get older you're like oh my gosh this constantly hurts i should have taken better care of myself <laughs> well there you go well this is this is an interesting trap <laughs> an interesting chapter for sure a strange one you might say oh there we go callbacks baby there it is uh thanks again joey no problem the Better Brand Podcast is produced by ListenUpReno.com and Brandon Palomo and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email ListenUpReno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Better Band Pod. I'm on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you would like to support this podcast, you can go to either ko-fi.com slash Brandon P or patreon.com slash Brandon P. You can also just give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, but don't forget to tell your friends. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send any insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Joey and as always, this is Brandon saying, I could never stay mad at you, Mo. After all, you get me drunk. <laughs> <laughs>